Hello, and welcome to the Literati Cast. I'm Jennifer Loughran, and I'm a senior agent at the Andrea Brown Literary Agency. On this podcast, I gab with my publishing industry friends about all things KidLit related. My interview today covers a lot of ground, but one thing that we touch on that I do want to make sure people take a note of is author and illustrator website design. I get questions about author websites a lot, and I have a lot of feelings on the subject. And I know that we've touched on aspects of this topic in a few different episodes. So this week, I kind of collated all that information and everything I know about the topic and wrote not a blog post exactly, because I don't really have a blog anymore, but a post on my website under the FAQ section, all about all the stuff that you should have on your author illustrator website, both before you get an agent or book deal, or more crucially, once you actually have a book or books entering the world. I'm going to link to that post in the show notes, and I do hope that people take a look at it because I think it's important, and it is a lot of information, so I realize that when we're just talking about it, it's easy to hear it and go like, yeah, yeah, but it might be a lot easier to actually implement when you see it all in writing. Um, And today, my guest is going to elucidate even further what that looks like for an illustrator specifically. So with that said, my guest today is Laurent Lynn. He's an art director at Simon & Schuster, he's a frequent teacher at writers' conferences, and he's an author and illustrator himself. He is a font of fantastic information. Let me see if I can get Laurent to the line. Hi, Laurent. Hello. I am so excited you're here because I haven't had an art director on in a long time. Um, And that's what you are, you're an art director, but for the layman among us, what is the nutshell description of what your role is? Well, um, the title is part of it. I direct art. Um, but what it really means is that um, it mean, for different types of books, it can mean different things. And I think that's one reason it's confusing. But um, part of my job is a, as a book designer. So I work on laying out the books um, you know, with, with the art that comes in, whether it's traditional media art that we scan in or it's digital media art. Um, I work on the covers, especially, um, if it's novels like YA novels, middle grade, then the cover is the, the main baby of it. But, um, but I also work with illustrators. So I will often am involved in hiring the illustrator, selecting the illustrator for different books, especially picture books. Um, and if it's a novel, the photographer, um, or sometimes illustration. And then I work with, I direct the art. I work with the illustrators as a collaboration. No one does it on their own. Kind of the role of an editor and an author. Um, but then I also do the design and layout of each book and, um, and see it through the production, which is the printing of the book. So one of my listeners begged me to ask you, who picks the fonts? <laughs> I do. Um, <laughs> the fonts are, can be tricky. Well, part of my expertise of what I, what I have to know, especially for picture books, is the appropriateness of you know, who the audience is. What, what is their age? Are they reading yet? Are they learning to read? What would have, if they're learning to read, what kind of a, a font would be accessible for them would be appropriate it's also what's appropriate for the book itself the is it a serious book is it silly 
Um, we also have uh, restrictions with fonts we can use because fonts are not, you know, they're created by people and font houses. So we have rights for certain fonts to use um, and for print books, for digital, for all that kind of stuff. But it's also one of my joys. Typography is so much fun and um, there's a real art form to it. And so sometimes um, illustrators who also do type um, are involved with sometimes the title type but the interior type because it has to be copy edited and proofread and changed that's that's always the designer i will say a pet peeve of mine is when a picture book for a very young reader has type that is difficult to decipher or is on dark color and it's black like it drives me mad uh, me too <laughs> so thank you thank you for keeping those away from children yes uh, so how did you how did you actually become an art director what was your path did you start as an illustrator or it's a long path um it's i've always been an illustrator i've always drawn i've always created characters i've always been interested in storytelling but mainly puppetry puppetry is always my passion growing up it it's my my mother had, a, um, I'm from Dallas, Texas, and my mother had a local live TV show with puppetry, um, with puppets in the 1950s. And then when she had me and my brother later, she tried to get my brother interested. He had, did not have an interest in it, <laughs> but then I got the genes of that. And so, and there's something about that, the, creating characters, creating stories that, that you can bring to life and in all the different ways that you can make it your vision. Um, so puppetry. And then I've always, uh, I did lots of, of puppet shows when I was uh, growing up in school and I worked at Six Flags Road, Texas as a puppeteer in the big theme park puppet production and among other things, Renaissance fairs and things like that. But I always wanted, of course, to work at the Muppets. And so I did. And so I actually was, at the Muppets for 11 years and I was a puppet builder and puppet designer in the Muppet workshop and it was awesome and amazing. Um, I worked on Muppet Christmas Carol film, Muppet Treasure Island. I worked on the 3D movie at Disney World and all kinds of great stuff, but I mainly worked on Sesame Street and I eventually became the creative director for Sesame Street Muppets. And um, so I was ready to graduate preschool, you know, and kind of have, <laughs> you know, be involved in not just the same characters all the time, and to me, the last industry, the last profession, um, business that exists creating things for children that where people care about children and art and literature, not selling crap, not selling toys. And I mean, I love toys, don't get me wrong, but um, it's certainly a children's books and publishing. So that's when I shifted, when I left the Muppets, I shifted into that. And since I was already creative director there and I did work on the Sesame Street books, um, I, it was an easy way to, to morph into this. That's amazing. That is the dream. I also went to school for puppetry. You did? And, um, I did. How <laughs> and, did I not uh, know this? I don't know. <laughs> we'll talk about it at a yes. but, um, but, uh, that obviously Muppets is like the dream job, but working on books is pretty darn cool too. Yes, it is. And you get to have more, um, more kind of a, of a part of it, you know, like if you look at the credits, like from Muppet Christmas Carol, you scroll through like, there's me and then I'm gone, you know? So with a book, you really have an ownership of it with working with just a very few people and you can really craft something 
um, that you can have your vision come through more. Well, and you're an author too. Yes, I am. Will you give a quick pitch of your book? Sure. Um, so it's uh, since I work with illustration and picture books, as a designer and art director, I work on YA middle grade and picture, middle grade and picture books. Um, but I, my passion is is picture books as an art director. However, I write YA, so I wrote a YA novel. It's called Draw the Line. It's also an illustrated novel. So I did the illustrations. The art. It's not a graphic novel, but the art is. You see the main character's art. He's an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, the character is Adrian Piper, and he's 16 years old, and he's in a. He, it's contemporary realistic fiction. He's in a small town in Texas. Um, he's obsessed with superheroes and Renaissance art. He's nonviolent and he's gay, so he creates a gay nonviolent Renaissance superhero comic character, of course. So, because like, I know, like you do, and so. <laughs> um, so he posted online, but anonymously, he flies under the radar, but he witnesses a hate crime, and he's got to decide, well, he gets pulled into it, and he's got to decide, you know, what to do. Do I do nothing, or do I, you know, try to see justice? So it really explores how to fight brutality with art, not becoming the monster. And Very um, important. Yes. <laughs> and it was a long journey, but... Um, and I kept it quite secret from everyone until I was ready to announce it to the world. Are you are you working on other stuff too, or is that another secret? Um, I am working on my next novel. I can't say much what it is, but I am working on it, and it's uh, more epic in scope. It's just so much fun, and it's a, a whole different kind of way of um, being a part of the world and being creative with um, with what we love to do. Excellent. I will link to your book in the show notes so that people can buy it. Oh, I will. Uh, thank you. <laughs> um, and now back to the question at hand, which I know people are very curious about art directing and the art department. How is the department set up? What do you, I know you work on everything, but like how many people work there? Well, it's, um, each publisher is a bit different in the setup. Um, and also they're, the titles that's another reason it gets confusing because there's art director there's designer so basically um at simon and schuster where i am we have like you know a lot of the like most all publishers especially the big ones we have different imprints and so the imprints i work on are the main simon and schuster books for young readers imprint paula weissman books and salam reads as well so the two two of the more boutique imprints and so the art department is set up um by imprint just as the editorial department is. So there are dedicated editors who work on different imprints and there are dedicated art directors and designers that work on imprints. So there's just five of, well, five, seven of us now, (laughs) seven of us in our, in the design group for the imprints I work on. And um, everybody kind of has their own expertise, their own things they focus on. Um, Like I said, I really focus on picture books more than novels, but Title, the title art director um, doesn't mean um, that you're not a designer. All the art directors, my colleagues at the other imprints as well, everyone designs books. Mm-hmm. We lay them out. We, in Adobe Illust- um, InDesign, we lay them out. We do all the type. We do, you know, work with the illustrators. So, um, so it's, it's set up with, um, you know, with the editors will present their books, the manuscripts they've acquired, I should say. And then we figure out 
you know, who works on which books coming up, depending on how many books you work on at once. It's a lot. Um, I work on 30 to 40 books at a time, which is wow crazy, but mm-hmm. it's at different points of the process. So um, some books are just, the illustrators are just getting started with the first sketches. Other books are about to go to the printer. So it's, you know, it's uh, spread out over a long period of time of when the books come out. But, um, but we, we work independently, but have a lot of meetings together and share ideas and it's, which is wonderful because it is a real collaborative process that way. So part of why we love publishing, obviously, is because there's no such thing as a typical day at work. It's always different. That said, what does a typical day at work look like for you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's very true what you say. There's no typical. Um, well, we do have certain meetings that are every other week or every week, which um are part of the typical, but basically um, I thank God for managing editors. They are, Oh boy, they're the, the air traffic controllers. They do the scheduling. They remind you of things They keep things going. And so the um, reason I mentioned them in my typical day is that um, they have a, they really set the schedule for all the books. So, so I'm always juggling as we all are different things, but, I go in and see which fires are flaming hottest, which um, projects are really needed. And for me, my main priority is to not leave illustrators hanging because I know illustrators that I work with are usually at home, not having contact with many people uh, during the day professionally because they're working or they're waiting to hear back. And, um, and so everyone works so hard to get deadlines in. So um, okay, most, but, um, yeah. <laughs> but, but, uh, anyway, so I try to connect with the illustrators. Um, so I'm juggling lots of projects at the same time, trying to ignore email, but there are always requests. So in addition to the designing and the art directing and the creative part, um, there are all these requests from the marketing and publicity departments that when a cover is ready, they need it. Um, you know, images of that interior images, there's all, that's just part of the process because, they want to, as soon as they can, get the word out for the books, um, getting new manuscripts to read for books I'm working on in the future, um, all those kinds of things. So it's there's not a calm, easy day of just, I'm going to design a book or <laughs> just talk with an illustrator for three hours, which you know can happen, but um, not enough. So <laughs> it's a lot of working on my own, um, and but also running around to other people um, and tackling email, which is everyone's enemy. A lot of people really do not understand or believe me when I tell them how long it takes to make a picture book. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've had picture books where they were acquired in 2010 and they just came out. So obviously that's a bit of an outlier, but they take a long time. Illustrators are busy you know, everybody's schedule is full, you need the art a year in advance, etc. So can you walk us through the life cycle of a picture book from your point of view? Sure. And yeah, because you know very well, from your point of view, what that's like, too. Um, It does take a long time. And for different reasons, Um, if it's, if it's written by one person, and then illustrated by another person, that generally takes longer, because the, you know, once a manuscript gets acquired, we have to figure out where is it going to go in the schedule? You know, when, when will the book come out? Um, 
and then look for the right illustrator. And when we find the right illustrator, often, as you're saying, they're very busy, so they might not be available for another few months. Um, and if and we have to make decisions if a certain illustrator who is our dream illustrator is not available for another year, do we wait? And sometimes we do if it's, you know, depending, but, or we don't, and we go to our, another illustrator. So that takes time. And then to craft the art um, takes a lot of work and it's a lot of back and forth. And then also we're all juggling our schedules too. I don't work on one book at a time. So that has to also fall into play. And it's a lot of back and forth and then designing the book. But an, a lot of uh, one aspect that a lot of people don't think about is um, the publicity, the sales, all of those aspects, because it's not when the art's turned in, that doesn't mean the book's done. Once mm-hmm. it's designed, once it's you know fully designed and we have our cover and we have the interiors, we the main deadlines that I work with for, with illustrators on is so that we can make what we call our sales materials, which is basically FNGs, which is the folded and gathered loose pages of a picture book. That is months and months in advance of when the book actually comes out because they have to go sell the books and the books sell way in advance and they need something to to show what the book is about. Otherwise, why would a a book seller buy a book um, if they can't see it? So that's another factor. And so it is a long time to wait, but it's all for good reason. Are you involved in the acquisitions process? Sometimes I'm more involved with um, with the illustrate choosing the illustrators, um, but it really is the editors that are editor editors publisher and the sales and you know those departments more than the art department. Um, though I, I might be involved if it's an author illustrator, same person, um, and look at picture books for that aspect. So let's talk novels, YA and middle grade book jackets. Mm -hmm. How soon from the time of acquisitions is your department starting to think about jackets? And how do you go about thinking of what to put on it? Like, does the editor send you a list of themes that they want to try and convey? Do you read the whole book and just brainstorm or what? I love to read the books. I love the manuscripts. I'm reading an early draft. Um, Once a book, once a contract is signed... Um, so it's not just acquisitions, but once a contract is signed and a deal is done, um, we will be presented, the, um, editors will present us in the the art department in our group, um, with here are all the books coming up for whatever season it would be, you know, like fall, fall 2019, for example, which those books are already well in the works, but, um, and so they'll talk about them and talk about the main characters and, and talk about what might change with their editing. Cause it's really the, the first draft that they've seen. Mm-hmm. And then, um, for the books that I'm going to work on, then I read the manuscripts. Um, if it's the fourth book in a series and I know who the characters are and I know the setting, I might not read that manuscript. Um, if I don't have time at that moment, because, you know, it's, the design is kind of set, but if it's new, it's a great opportunity. Cause first of all, being an author myself, I love seeing that process and reading, you know, the early stages. And then, um, the editors do, there's a form, I think most publishers have this something of their own, but that the, um, editor fills out saying, here are the main characters, here's what they look like. Um, here's the general mood. Here's the target audience, which is very important for age, for 
the genre? Is it sci-fi or is it um, very dramatic, contemporary, all those things? Um, and then also the comp titles, which are the comparative books, the books that, that they would compare it to, you know, the like the movie pitch, this, this is like this and this and this, to see what the genre of what um, books, successful books that are out there already, what they look like. For one thing, to see if it's, you know, not be derivative, um, but also to see what this reader gravitates towards. Right. So, um, and then I come up with ideas and concepts. And if it's a photo shoot, I might do some sketches of what I think about for photos, photo shoot. Often I use stock photography um, to make the jacket. So I'll put a rough image together using stock photos. Um, if it's an illustrator, I'll pull together illustrator um, samples of who might be great to tackle this book um, and then go from there and develop that the concept that way. So um, sometimes jackets in a series say change midway through. Like maybe the sales aren't strong enough and they want to rebrand the whole series. But often, even books that are successful in hardcover, they change the jackets for the paperback. Why is that? Um, if they're successful, we recently we don't. We keep the paperback. It, it matches the hardcover. Um, because it is successful, it's something that's known. What might happen if those are recent current books because often we'll have the paperback will come out a year or two years after the hardcover but if it's an earlier hardcover book that maybe from 10 years ago or something that's still really successful it might feel dated then that's a great reason to update it you know to make it more current like we redid all the judy bloom novels um with illustrations by debbie ohi um yes they're so cute yes (laughs) um because they, you know, they had, they didn't quite go together. And, and of course, Judy Bloom was very involved in that. And, and it's supporting that. So, um, so that can be, and it's a great way of reintroducing books to a new generation that might not know about all of them. Um, but we often will, if a book didn't do as well, didn't sell as well, or didn't get the um, attention that everyone expected it to, a paperback redesign of the cover is a wonderful way to you know, give it some new energy. Yes. Like breathe new life into it. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a couple of listener questions for you. Uh, They're both about websites and portfolios. A listener asks, I've heard different things from art directors versus agents, re illustrator websites. Is it better to have a fun site with a lot of color and personality or one that is streamlined, clean and easy to use? I don't see why those have to be separate things, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) What do you like to see in a website when choosing artists and is there a happy medium? Um, I do understand the question or the concern because there are contrasting websites out there. You know, you look at Mm -hmm. different, different examples. So it's hard to know what to follow. I always think um, I'm there to look at your art. I am not, I'm not there to see how you design a website because we all know, you know, websites come in templates or you can design your own website. Or you don't have to, or, you know, um, I'm there to see your art. And so well-organized, it's your portfolio. Your website is your portfolio. And so if it's organized well, where I can go directly to, you know, your picture book art or your, um, if you have middle grade illustration and samples. And also if you, I often look at Instagram and things like that because people post in progress and sketches and, it's so much fun to see, and, and and often it's great to see how people 
how they create art when they're not really doing a, a one piece to be shown in a portfolio. So um, linking those things, but it's really about the art. Um, I always do think that, you know, your name uh, is a great opportunity to create some, a visual that will be remembered. I'm a visual person and I get postcard um, samples, postcards sent to me. And if the art changes every time, like it's a different style, I might recognize, oh, that logo they created or however they designed their name that I'll remember that's the same person. So oh, I like that lo- creating a logo idea. It's really great because you're branding yourself. You are a business. And especially if you're an illustrator, you're an artist, then you can really come up with something fun. It needs to be, you know, legible and appropriate, but, um, right. but it's a, it's a really great way to get known because, um, you get known for your name, uh, as well as your art. Right. Um, and when you're looking at a beginning illustrator's portfolio, let's say, what kind of things do you like to see? Mm. Well, um, I always talk about that there are two that picture book or illustrating for literature doesn't have to be picture book, but illustrating for literature is different from any other kind of illustration in two main ways. One is that you are presenting a narrative. There's storytelling that has to be there. It's not a portrait. It's not a still life. It's not a landscape. Those those may be great to have on your website under you know because people do work professionally with doing editorial art or you know, um, they do portraits, but that's separate in a, in a children's literature portfolio. Um, none of those things, cause we're looking for that narrative. The other thing is an emotional connection to really show that you can capture a moment. It can be a quiet moment. It can be an active moment in a narrative visually that will pull a reader in to identify with that character emotionally or characters or place. Um, but, and also have a narrative. So make, you really want to think what comes next. So if that's not in there, then, then to me, that illustrator is not showing from what they've selected. They're not showing that they're ready to take on a manuscript. I would agree with that. I would also say for me, I always like to see a sense of movement. Um, and also, if you don't, like, let's say you're an illustrator and not a writer, you could even take your favorite fairy tale or a, a known story, Alice in Wonderland or something, and draw something from there so that it so that that's a way to show narrative if you don't have an actual manuscript of your own, let's say. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And yeah, because it's it's a no- story everyone knows and we'll get to see how you interpret it your on your own in your own way. Um and yeah, move, movement, energy, and and of course, of showing you you understand what go, what picture books are about. So animals, children, nothing from an adult point of view, adult perspective, um, you know, or narrative that only has adults in it. You know, with illust- set of illustrations. So um, those kinds of things, and some people really perf- um, are much more expertise at drawing animals. More less. Some people are more experienced at drawing people, but animals it is are easier because we're we are humans, so we judge mm-hmm. the way humans are drawn more closely. Um, but the, having a balance is important um, in that way. I would also say to think about the kind of jobs you wish to be hired for, <laughs> for which you wish to be hired, mm-hmm. and um, and to make sure that you're doing illustrations that 
are in that genre. Like if you really want to do baby books, but your portfolio is a lot of horror, then mm-hmm. that's probably not the right portfolio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Instinct is good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think a lot of people, I mean, they, they're like, oh, I could draw anything. But you can't if you're not showing it, you know. Yes. You got to show what you can do to me or I won't just know it. Yeah, and, and also that goes with art style with um, like watercolor versus digital. You know, if you have different, or even in watercolor, you could have different styles or whatever it is. My because people often ask this is a question they get all the time and um, should I have one some they sometimes hear they should have one style or they hear they should have multiple styles and I say to that that um, whatever you do is what you do and if you have just one style um, then that's fine because there are plenty of very noted successful and talented illustrators in our in our business who have one style and that's great or that if you have more than one style you you have to be equally expert and um at, at each one they have to all be at the same level of expertise and um so if they're not i would focus on the ones that are already there uh because that's you know that's important you have to be able to show but also like you said don't put in your portfolio on your website anything you don't want to illustrate because if you have one style that you don't really want to work in it's an older style but you have it up there anyway that may be the one i want to hire you for is to do it (laughs) in that style and you might hate that or not be able to do that anymore so those are all things to think about so i think we talked about what are things you look for and like to see but what do you not want to see in other words like obviously art is subjective but what are mistakes that illustrators make when they're presenting their work? I, th- I think the things I mentioned, um, you know, that, that not having the narrative, not having that emotion. Um, but re- I always tell, this is so true, I tell everyone, everything in an illustration is a character. And what I mean by that is nothing should be generic. Everything should be thought out because every single thing um, in an illustration informs the main character, informs the narrative. The, a tree, the way a tree looks, the lighting, the composition, nothing should be generic. So um, I often see, um, if, well, I'll come back to that, but you are, you're, you're a costume designer, you're a set designer, you're a lighting designer. This is, you're, you have all those hats to wear. And so coming back to what I was about to say, um, I often see, um, I'm doing the quotes with my fingers, kid clothes, um, generic kid clothes on, on children that are illustrated, a t-shirt and jeans or, and yes, kids do wear t-shirts and jeans for sure. But what an opportunity to show us what your character, how they want to present themselves on the outside. Do they wear, do they look on the outside like they feel on the inside or is it the opposite? You know, what can you tell us about this character? Are, you know, hair and, clothing you know what they choose to wear or what they're made to wear um for example that and also like a child's bedroom i often see generic bed a bookshelf with you know for if it's a boys room with a baseball and you know all the all the go-to really not not very inventive things and that's an opportunity like a bedroom is, is someone's sanctuary this is who they are it can be nuanced you know and and the same goes for um, all the details in illustration. So that's something that I really encourage people to think about. 
Specificity is your friend. It sure is. In writing and illustrating. I, I Somebody told me this once, and I th- it kind of resonated with me uh, since I remembered it. They said that they're that they think that when you finish reading a picture book and you close the picture book, a kid should be able to draw the main character, like what they remember what they look like, because that's how unique they are. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if your book is about a blue monster with crazy horns or whatever, like a kid, when they close that book should be able to like visualize that character after you've closed the book ladybug girl you know what she looks like like she's got a look um and she's not gonna all of a sudden show up in you know dress like a fireman or something or if she did it would be a ladybug girl style fireman. <laughs> <laughs> um and that kind of like made me think yeah that's true because i you know you want it to be memorable just yeah. i think of a picture book as being like a very small very well lit stage exactly it's and every single thing on there is important. So, it, and even if it's like Harold from Harold and the Purple Crayon, where he what he's wearing is not extravagant; it's kind of plain, but he's just lines, and um, and it's a very distinct outfit because that's a great that's the best example I can I can think of in all children's literature of of the full everything on that page informs the character because he's wearing these very plain clothes. Um, I think it's just like a, a long sleeve t-shirt, I think, and pants. They're both white because he's just outlined and um, his clothes. But what is inside of him is that in crazy purple crayon, what he draws. And so what he draws tells us as much, if not more, about who he is than what he looks like. And so everything informs. And so when you think of him, you don't think of him in isolation as that character. You think of him with all of his drawings and what he's created. So it's it's um it's all connected. Yay, picture books. Yay, indeed. <laughs> so how do you usually find new illustrators to work with? Are there certain sites you scope out? Do you like to look online? Do you like the physical mailings? Are they useful? I have a crystal ball that I peer into. No, I actually don't. Um, different ways. Well, SCBWI, I would imagine most listeners know what that is, but I'll say anyway, it's the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. Um, the most magnificent organization for, um, for children's book writers and illustrators and pretty much the only one, um, it's global. Um, but the regional conferences, I do go to the lot of the regional conferences, um, where I know we've done that recently together, um, as well as the, the large ones in New York and LA. And I meet illustrators there. I see portfolios, I see, um, all kinds of things. So that's one way I personally do a lot of most art directors don't do that, but that's how I do it. But also postcards, absolutely postcards that are sent to me. I e- different. Some art directors prefer email, but I don't because email is so overwhelming and it gets lost. And um, I do keep actual files that I like to open and look into and see the postcards. And, um, and if there's something that engages me or is interesting to me on the postcard sample I get, then I go to the website will be on there. So I go to the website and check it out. Um, and so that's a great way. Um, and also I'm very aware of what books are out there and I try to stay very current with that. So if someone has their first book out with a different publisher, um, you know, it's great to see what new things are coming out that way. Uh, and then also I 
do online Instagram on certain websites and blogs and people connect with each other. Illustrators that I follow might have someone else there. Um, there's, there's no one way. Right. Well, I'm glad to hear that you like the postcards because it's an agency. We still do postcards. Yes, you do. <laughs> and, um, and sometimes it's like, are people looking at these? I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. At least we also do email blasts, but we try and also do physical postcards at least a couple times a year. They, and um, they, are, they are great. And people like I do notice the ones you send. And um, with, the, with our time, you know, with the amount of time we have, um, there's no that's one thing illustrators should keep in mind is they may send out. I don't know how many postcards and you should curate it. Don't just email just a mailing list that you don't, you're wasting your money and time unless you have your curated list. But um, I, I, I keep a lot of cards, but I never respond. There's just not time. Um, and also, um, you know, we're so overwhelmed with things that um, there's, you know, it's really gets tricky and you might not hear, but it doesn't mean someone's not, paying attention or someone doesn't love what you sent and is watching. Right. Um, do you have any all time favorite illustrators, like people you wish you could work with and they could be living or dead, I suppose. Oh, well, I was going to say living. I don't want to go into that because, because, <laughs> um, <laughs> well, dead, there's so many too. Um, uh, there really are so many. Um, but I, I'm very fortunate. I get to work with all kinds of amazing people and illustrators um that's a that's a it is a tricky question because i one thing i learned um early on is that my personal taste has no meaning at all when it comes to the books i work on because um you know that's one thing when someone might say oh i don't like that art it, well like the word like is useless to me even though i do use it but um as far as describing art because it's not like it's is it right for the story is it right for the you know is it going to make a child connect but um but i don't know i mean there's so many and a lot of a lot of illustrators are my friends who i've not worked with that i've gotten to know just through our community and i respect their work so much um but uh just to, so i can give you some names <laughs> um leo and diane dylan um oh and of God. course diane is still uh She's not still illustrating as much, but she's um, she's still engaged in the community. Um, and of course, Leo is no longer with us. But I saw some video once of them drawing together, and it was so fascinating. Like they literally were drawing like simultaneously and spinning the paper around. I've seen that too. It's fascinating. <laughs> it's fascinating. Let's see if I can find that video and link to it because it was like wild. Anyway, it's it, it's incredible. And one. One illustrator is Trina Shard Hyman, who oh, I never got to meet her, but um, that's someone I, people don't know as much about. Some some um, illustrators now and others don't know about her. Trina Shard Hyman, and she's her work was phenomenal and so um, groundbreaking, and and um, and also at the time, uh, sadly, there were not as many prominent female children's book illustrators. And so she was, you know, really doing her own thing and successful at it when she did it. Well, I'm lucky that I have secondhand Trina Shurtman stories because I represent Eric Kimmel, who wrote some of her books mm -hmm. that she illustrated. Um, and he told me a story 
where apparently she was quite a firecracker. Yes, I heard that too. <laughs> and, um, and she would say, if she was evaluating a manuscript, she would look for the places where they've left room for the illustrator, you know, where they've allowed her freedom to draw. And sometimes it's just a manuscript is just like talking heads and there's not a lot of um, obvious things to draw. And she would say it. She would say, what the fuck am I supposed to draw? <laughs> Which I probably should bleep, but I won't. It's anyway, okay. we're all <laughs> probably probably all adults here. But. Probably. Um, so I always ask my guest what you're obsessed with right now. The it does not have to be bookish, but it can be. Mine are almost never bookish because <laughs> I watch television after work and I <laughs> usually talk about television. So my, I'll do mine so you can have time to th- gather your thoughts. Okay. My obsession right now is this TV show called What We Do in the Shadows. I don't know that. It's on FX. It's fairly new. Um, I happen to have... I re-got cable. Like, everybody cuts the cord and I re-got the cord. So... um. <laughs> So it's on regular TV, but it's also probably on Hulu and stuff like that. It's an American TV remake of a hilarious movie that was a few years old from New Zealand that was like Jemaine Clement of of the Flight of the Concords and Taika Waititi. Mm -hmm. Um, They're New Zealanders, and they made this hilarious movie about vampires. And now this TV show is the American version. Mm So in it, a bunch of vampires are roommates. They've been living for hundreds of thousands of years. And now they share an apartment in Staten Island and they're hilarious. (laughs) So um, it's also, it's filmed in the style of like a fake documentary, like the office. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a character named Colin Robinson, who is absolutely genius. He is not a vampire like the others. The others are all your traditional coffin during the day (laughs) turn into bats that kind of Mm -hmm. thing colin robinson is an energy vampire so he can walk around during the day he just works in an office and his power is to bore the hell out of everyone he talks to and like drain their energy (laughs) (laughs) so whenever he says something particularly banal he looks at the camera and makes this amazing fang face and so now every time I hear something really boring, I make the Colin Robinson fang face. <laughs> it's a heads up in case we meet in person. I'm sorry if I make the fang face. I'm you. intrigued now. <laughs> it's very funny. They're short episodes. It's a delightful what we do in the shadows. Hmm. Laurent, what is your obsession? I, it's Right now it's um, theme parks. And what I mean by that is the artistry of theme parks. I, I, it's not a, just an obsession now, but it's kind of a constant obsession. But I'm thinking about it a lot for because of two things. One is um, at the when I was down where you were as well, and in New Orleans for the SCBWI conference, um, I went to uh, Mardi Gras World, which is the it's a tour you can go and see where the, the, this company builds most of the floats and the sculptors there that are creating these incredible, you know these these floats are not just floats they are they're more than just themed they are scenes they're dioramas they're they're set pieces they're it's phenomenal and the craft that goes into creating that the sculpt it takes me back to my Muppet Workshop days in some ways. Um, but theme parks. So um, 
I'm this summer going to Disney World and um, Universal, Harry Potter, as I've been yes. before a few t- quite a few <laughs> times. And um, last August, I went to Disneyland. It was Pixar Fest out there. Um, but really just seeing how the, these incredible artists create these worlds that you step into that are, that are movies or stories or, you know, environments that just come to life. And I also, I do like reality a lot. I do like actually going to, um, to France instead of just France at Epcot, you know, in fact, I prefer (laughs) France, the real thing, but, um, but just to really, especially the fantasy worlds, um, to see how they, and so I've been watching um, a lot of, uh, of of vloggers on YouTube um, that are showing a lot of the behind the scenes kind of things, and that's fascinating to me. Have you been to London and to the Harry Potter experience? In London? No, I've been to London, but not since that. It's not since the movies okay. were made. I would strongly suggest that you go to it. No joke. I mean, well, first of all. Full disclosure, the universal Harry Potter world, I literally cried. (laughs) Me too. So beautiful. I freaked out. I was completely overwhelmed. It's amazing. But the sets are just spectacular because they had to make them last over however eight movies or whatever it is. So they built them to last. So when you're in the Great Hall, it is you're literally in the Great Hall, the real ones. And they have all the costumes and all the wigs and all the puppets. And it's amazing. Um, it's very different from what the Universal is, but it's really, really, really cool. Right, because it's um, – I, I just booked my flight this second. Um, it's because <laughs> it, the, the Universal Studios is meant to be – you know, you're stepping into the city, the town, the, the Hogwarts. But the, the film sets are film sets. So you really get to see the behind the scenes of what a film set means and – that's even that's so amazing. Oh, you've I've got I'm now obsessed. I gotta go. That's my new obsession is going to be yes. that. <laughs> good, do it. I've been twice. Oh, so good. Okay. Anyway, all right, Laurent, I'll let you go. Thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. It's this has been a lot of fun. And I'll see you soon. Yes, thank you. Thanks to my guest Laurent Lynn and to all of you for listening. As you know, if you've listened before, the Literati cast has a Patreon. Unfortunately, Patreon rules mean that I had to stop the giveaway portion of the Patreon, but it would still mean a lot to get your support there if you like the podcast. Donate a dollar and you can get sneak peeks of future episodes and ask listener questions that I'll have our guests answer on air. This is not a money-making endeavor, but the Patreon does just about cover the cost of producing and hosting the show, So thank you. Your support allows me to keep doing what I'm doing. That's patreon.com slash literaticat. I'll link to all the stuff Laurent and I talked about in the show on the show notes on my website. Um, That's jenniferlawfren.com slash literaticast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.